Hey, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're tuning into this episode. Uh, we are a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we really appreciate you listening, watching on YouTube. We really encourage you to subscribe to whatever platform you're using. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, or if you're on Apple or however you listen to a podcast, be sure and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. Also, make comments if you like it and share it if you like it. We really need people to make comments and share the episodes that you like. And then also, if you're not already a supporter, we really would encourage you to go to spiritualityadventures.com and you can pick a tier and we have bonus content for every type of giver. These are this is a nonprofit, so they're tax deductible donations, but we do provide bonus content for those who uh, are supporters. So be a part of the team, help support Spirituality Adventures, and we're so glad you're tuning in. All right, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. Glad you're tuning in to this episode. I am so honored to have Don Stevens with us today. Don is the founder of Mercy Ships. These are ships that are floating hospitals that go to the poorest of the poor in the world and do all kinds of free surgeries, free medical care, free dental uh, for the poorest of the poor after the model of Jesus's healing ministry. Is that right, Don? You, you've got it. We, uh, our mission, vision, and value state that we use hospital ships to bring hope and healing to Africa's poorest. And next line is we follow the 2000 year old model of Jesus. And then, and that's really important. That's the very heart of who we are following the model of Jesus. And then we have four core values. You'll recognize these immediately. Uh, they come from the gospels and Jesus words. Exactly. Number one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number two, love and serve others. Number three, be a people of excellence. Number four, be a people of integrity, because at the end of our lives, if we don't have integrity, we don't have anything. So very simple, four core values. And we now have people coming from over 50 nations. Um, we can accommodate approximately 450 people plus on our new ship. And those are mainly healthcare professionals, engineers, people working in the hotel side, um, navigation, the, the maintenance, the safety, the captain, all of that. Um, but one other aspect, uh, we hire approximately, again, these are ballpark numbers, 400 local people in each port where we are. So you can imagine 400 local Africans coming on board every day. They eat one meal with us. Well, most of Africa, if they get one meal a day, that's good. That, that's a balanced diet. That's wonderful. But if I could take you to the dining room on the Global Mercy and follow some of these African, we call them day crew, uh, with us, uh, they, the rice is, it's a plateful. And everything else they can put on it is just so humorous to see what they choose for their one meal a day. And they work with us. If they're in the medical department or let's say they're a, 
an anesthesia provider or they want to learn to be an anesthesia provider or a surgeon or uh, uh, an operating room nurse, they go right with us. So it's, it's cerebral, very intense training, but it's on the job training. You learn by observing and answering questions with the surgeons, the doctors, the anesthesia providers. And then eventually they will say, well, now it's your turn. You do it while we observe it. And then you have to train somebody else what you've learned. So there's a multiplication factor that happens. The 400, I think, um, this is my personal opinion. Others may disagree. I think our greatest impact are on those 400 and some who we work with day in and day out because they get to see us from 35, 40 nations following the model of Jesus. That's how we leave a lasting footprint, mm. in my opinion. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. So let's get just a little quick backstory. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And what was your faith tradition when you were growing up? All right. My father was in the military. He taught meat and dairy hygiene at the end of World War II, and he was stationed at uh, the hospital, the military hospital, General Beaumont Hospital in El Paso, Texas. And when the war was over, with me as a little baby, they came back to Western Colorado, where my family has been. My great-grandfather came in here in the early 1900s. So... Western Colorado, which uh, until, you know, the interstate and everything else, this was the most remote remote part of the US, continental U.S. because Colorado is a centennial state. Uh, we're 100 years after 76 is when Colorado became a state. We know this, you're Colorado affectionate. And you couldn't get into Western Colorado unless you went over the passes. So that and gold and silver mining and Telluride, Uray, this all of this area, the gold mines, that's what opened it up to the influx of uh, European um, prospectors and farmers and ranchers primarily. So that's that's those are my roots. Now, where did I go to church? My dad was a, a Baptist. Uh, I think it was a G-A-R-B Baptist. That, that's important because there are many different Baptists. You would know right. this. G-A-R-B, <laughs> I've been told, stands for General Association of Regular Baptists. Regular Baptists. As otherwise known as Hard Shell Baptists. <laughs> and my mother, because she was Hard, Norwegian. Harder Shell than Southern Baptists, right? Well, Southern Baptists <laughs> are... are uh, yeah, yeah, I think the Southern Baptists would agree that uh, G-A-R-B Baptists are hard-shell Baptists. Southern Baptists are a little more open to everything except women in leadership, I understand, because Rick Warren just got kicked out. Right, right. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, in my opinion. But anyway, right. I grew up Southern Baptist, so yeah. You grew up Southern Baptist? Yeah. I went to okay. Baylor Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, got a little too charismatic for the Southern Baptist, wound up in the vineyard. And then now I'm with Disciples of Christ. So it's I've, I've had a journey, man. But, yeah, uh, 
you've kind of bounced around there. I have a good friend that you know. We share a mutual friend, Dan Cox, who yes. became a vineyard pastor in Grand Junction. And he started a church from scratch, actually, in the home of my brother-in-law. And then it grew and rented facilities and or eventually, uh, I don't know the numbers, but three, 4,000 would attend on the weekend. And Dan's a wonderful Bible teacher. I've never heard him speak that I didn't hear from God. That's awesome. Yeah, Dan, I just had dinner with Dan, you know, when I was out there, uh, out there just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he, and, and by the way, tomorrow we'll re release an interview I did with Dan Cox on near-death experiences, which is okay. really that, that comes out tomorrow. And by the way, those anybody that's listening that follows me on social media or Facebook, I posted maybe two weeks ago uh, a video from up on top of Cimarron Pass, near Cimarron Pass there, near where you're sitting right now. Owl Creek Pass? <laughs> yeah, Owl Creek Pass. That's it. Oh, that's yep. just up the road from us. I rode my bike up there. <laughs> As an electric assisted? No. No? no Pedal that sucker. <laughs> well, you you must be very fit. Like I said earlier, uh, I'm 78. I'm at the stage in life. If I can do 1,500 meters on my rowing machine, I feel really good. If I get up to 2,500, boy, that'll serve me for yeah. another day. That's interesting, Don. One of the things I read about you said that you had – spent time in East Texas, like in Tyler and Lindell, Texas. Is that true or? Because you're yes. all in Colorado now, right? Well, uh, the home office is in East Texas in the greater Tyler area. It's actually in Garden Valley. Okay. It's, it's a center that was built by another very effective oh, movement, I guess we could say, spun out of the the Jesus movement, the Jesus people, agape force. And yeah. Agape force sold records, Pennsylvania, bullfrogs and butterflies. Uh, they sold them door to door and with the proceeds paid cash for this facility. Then they changed in, in direction. They were no longer doing that. And the property went in a receivership. Then it was bought by uh, an insurance healthcare company, they lost it and we bought it out of bankruptcy for, uh, I love to say this because God's economy is amazing, uh, 10 cents on the dollar. Wow. Uh, so we have 430, 400, maybe it's 500 acres there. We don't need all that acreage, but it's important to keep it just to protect it. So that's wow. where we do all of our orientation entry-level training, onboarding. So if you're going to be a part of Mercy Ships, you have to come through the center, or we also repeat this in, in Europe. Uh, the onboarding and the, the biggest part of Mercy Ships, and this is where my hat is off to those who do it, is the administrative. Uh, we will have up to 3,000 volunteers, meaning a few weeks to a few months to two years, 3,000 coming from, as I mentioned, 40 to 50 nations. All of that administrative logistical is done in Texas. Okay. Secondly, we are a shipping company and we are, we are audited 
uh, I think that's the best word, surveyed is, is what you would say in the maritime world, annually by Lloyds. So they mm -hmm. come to really check us out. Do you know what you're doing? Are you doing it rightly according to the latest policies and procedures? So that whole marine operations side is also headquartered in East Texas. And they're the ones that I think are the, they're called of God to be geniuses when it comes to uh, uh, organizational structure and uh, doing things right and doing it well so that when others see Christians doing it with the highest quality, it speaks to them of the God we serve. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I remember I was, I can't remember if I was at Baylor or Southwestern right in the 80s. I, there was a youth pastor at a church called Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas. And they had a youth pastor named Eddie Cantu. And I did a Disciple, a disciple Now conference with Eddie in the 80s at Green Acres. But, and then that was not, not far from there was the last day's ministry, Keith Green, you know, and his, that whole ministry was kind of located around there. I just remember all of that from the 80s, you know. Uh, Keith and Melody were personal friends. Keith, um, I, I met with him in, in East Texas, and we talked about him getting some international exposure. So I organized for him to go to Europe. He went to several European countries and then came to be with us in Greece. So we were in Greece on the seashore, seashore uh, not too far from where our ship, the first ship was, when Keith began to talk about his dream of recruiting, was it 100,000 or a million? That was a big number of missionaries of this generation to go. And uh, he flew back to Texas after that time. And I was actually, uh, along with a friend of mine, um, the last two to fly in the plane before Keith and his two kids and the pilot and others went down over East Texas. So that's just down the road from us. And it's been redeemed. The property has. It now belongs to a Korean Christian organization that are training um, a Korean Americans, second and third mm. generation Koreans uh, for missions. And so wow. uh, it's amazing what they've done there in the property. Um, Dion, uh, we hadn't gone through the Panama Canal yet, bringing our first ship across. Keith paid for the Panama Canal crossing. Dion got on an airplane in Kingston, Jamaica. We'd stopped there when we got the news. And she flew to be with Melody because uh, we, we felt like we needed someone need to be close to her during that very uh, unbelievably painful time of loss. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started Mercy Ships, this was, you were in partnership with YWAM. Is that right? We you were. I, ships I, in 1978. Is that yes, right? Yes. And was it partnered with YWAM at that time? Well, if you understand partnership. Every YWAM entity, to quote Lauren Cunningham, the founder of, of YWAM, every ship floats on its own bottom, meaning each YWAM entity is independently autonomous, responsible for everything. They're 
finances, their vision, their purpose, their program. Now, the one thing in common is the discipleship training school. What what happened for me, and I, I was a YWAMer, I was with YWAM. I was the director for, I had a big title, uh, no job description. <laughs> uh, I was director for uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. I just think of that. Yeah, that's a I, lot of territory. <laughs> well, it's a lot of territory, but I wasn't sure what I was to do next. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, I was invited to go to Calcutta, India, to uh, visit Dr. Mark and Hulda Buntain and speak in, to their youth group. And while I was there, I mentioned, you know, Calcutta. I, I don't know if I actually mentioned it or somebody else did, but the subject came up of Mother Teresa. And uh, one of the associates with the Buntains came to me and said, Don, I've got your meeting arranged with Mother Teresa tomorrow morning, seven o'clock. Wow. Wow. What year well, was that? 77, okay. September 77. Okay. Or maybe 78. I'd have to uh, check my, one of those two. 77, yeah. I think it was. So I don't know about you, but all of a sudden I was petrified. What, like what, a, are you gonna, what are you gonna say to Mother Teresa? Right. <laughs> Oh, my. So I didn't have a very good night. I was writing out answers on a three-by-five card and put in my jacket. Them up. Next morning, 7 o'clock, it's a very small room. Uh, there are four cane-back chairs, very simple, very plain. I could reach out and touch Mother Teresa to my left over here. There's another sister with her. A friend was beside me in the four of us. And I got my list out, and I said, Mother Teresa, the first question I want to ask you is, how did you begin? And in my memory, you know, now the memory can create things, but this is how I remember it. Uh, she reached out and pushed my hands away and said, I won't answer a single question about me. Um, I've actually, we have prayed for this meeting, and I want to ask you questions. Wow. Well, <laughs> if, if I was frightened before, I'm really frightened now. That's right. What, what is she going to ask? So Mother Teresa said to me, I, I, now, again, this is so many years ago. We're talking decades. I call them the Mother Teresa questions. But they're the questions that I had as a result of time with Mother Teresa. So the first question was, why were you born? Wow. Where or why? 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 Why were you born? Wow. Interesting. And I struggled. I, I, I didn't know how to answer. Huh. It, it's the, perhaps the most basic philosophical question for all of us. Why yeah. am I here? Exactly. What's my purpose? Why am I? So she helped me. Why do you think God put you on earth? What are you to do? Mm. Why were you born? So I struggled through telling her about this dream that I had of a hospital ship serving Africa. Now, she gave me a gift immediately. 
she didn't laugh at me. That's a gift. Mm. You know, sometimes we laugh at others' dreams mm. and we damage them. Mm. She didn't. She said something like, well, that's a big dream or a large dream or... And then she, um, she made it clear in our theology, in Catholic theology, we believe that God often uses pain to prepare for purpose. Second question, where's your pain? Where's your pain? Well, you know, we have C.S. Lewis's problem of pain. We have Francis Schaeffer's wife's uh, treatise on pain and suffering. And there are lots of good books on pain. Mm -hmm. But my mind, I was thinking, look, I grew up in Western Colorado. Men don't talk about pain. I didn't know how to answer. Where's your pain? So, again, coaching, helping. So I told her about John Paul, one of our four children, a daughter and three boys. He's the middle boy. He's, uh, he was born in 76. So his 50-some years is nonverbal. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't say mama, papa. Um... He's autistic to a degree. We don't know what degree. Uh, his signs are, this is how he signs his name. Sorry. He beats his chest. That's John Paul. This is eat. This is drink. And this is on. Meaning, turn the TV on, get with the program. He's, he's not a purist in how he uses his signs. Dion... Uh, my wife likes to joke and says, when we stand before St. Peter or before the Lord, John Paul's going to say, why did you give me such handicapped parents? <laughs> they only taught me four signs. <laughs> um, we learned a lot through John Paul. It's true that the pain that I had as a young father not knowing what are we going to do how are we going to care for this how will it change my call and emissions should we go home should we quit um john paul helped us understand uh, the heart of god and love and mercy for not only the poor but the special needs those with challenges mentally and physically and he became the pain associated with John Paul became part of preparing us for the purpose of mercy ships. And then the last question was just as direct. What are you doing about your dream? Why were you born? What's your dream? Where's your pain? What are you doing about it? Well, I hadn't done anything but write it out on a, a, legal, a yellow legal pad. So when I flew home to Geneva, we were living in Switzerland, French-speaking Switzerland, Lausanne at the time. And Dion picked me up at the Geneva airport, driving home. Um, I'm filling Dion in on my time with Mother Teresa. And when I said what I've just explained to you, Dion said, Mother Teresa asked you, what are you doing about it? I said, yeah. She said, well, Don, you better start to look for ships. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the kind of Wi-Fi. You know. 
Wow. Again, look at the sovereignty of God who goes before us, who plans, prepares. We had met a couple in Switzerland, Henry and Francoise Andre. The Andre family owned a shipping company. We met them through the Billy Graham Association because Billy Graham had hosted the 1974 Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization. Yeah. And a Bible study was started for some of the ladies by Dr. by Martha Hoke, the wife of Donald Hoke, who organized everything for the Billy Graham Association. Yeah. So Martha Hoke says to Dion, I've got this ladies Bible study started. Dion, I want you to come because I want you to take this over when we return back to the U.S. when this Congress is over and the follow up is done. So that's how we met the Andres in a Bible study started by the hoax, Billy Graham's uh, key and, leaders putting us together. And were you at the YWAM base there in Lausanne? We or were not, not far from that. That's okay. where I went into office. Okay. But we lived in a rented home out in the, the French would say, the Swiss would say the gold vote. The big vote. Now, remember, Switzerland is not a very big country, but it was on the other side of Froideville. Froide is cold. So we're on the other side of Cold Village, and that's where we had a rented home, and that's where our two eldest children started school. Okay. So they speak fluent French with a vaudois, a French, a Swiss accent, sorry. And we, we have many good friends. Switzerland was the first office. They birthed mercy ships. We're thankful to them. Those Beautiful. donors that many of them had never seen a ship, but they believed in our vision of what we were doing and supported us. That's awesome. Where did, where did you meet Dan Cox? Because I know he was in YWAM. And by the way, Dan and I are co were colleagues in the vineyard. My church and his church were two of the largest vineyards in America. Um, I was in Kansas City, he was in Grand Junction, and he's been a dear friend, and he's a little older than me, so I always picked his brain, tried to learn from Dan as much as I could, but where did, where did you guys meet? Was that back in that time period? Dan's parents were friends with my wife's parents. In okay. fact, Dion's father and Dan's father were closest friends. They bought separate airplanes at the same time they flew they did business together they flew to alaska with their wives and their planes uh, they just did a lot so we knew dan when he was a little boy i have a younger brother four years younger see dan's a little older than you i'm a little older than dan okay uh he was a football star and a wrestler he was a state champion in heavyweight 180 i think maybe not 180 but he was a state champion wrestler. Dan's an incredible athlete. And uh, he became, uh, in my opinion, a very gifted, simple, powerful pastor preaching just the word, verse after verse, topic after topic. And the men, in particular, flocked to Dan's vineyard because he could communicate in a language that men appreciated and loved and learned from. And uh, we had a, 
been family friends since he was a teenager. Wow, that's so cool. Well, he loves you and has so much respect for you. So thank you so much for doing this. So Mother Teresa asked you two questions. Why were you born? Where is your pain? Was there? What are you doing about it? Okay, what are you doing about it? I'm writing these down. I like these questions. <laughs> what are you doing about it? And that's where you meeting. What are you doing about your dream? Yeah. Okay. Are those the three. Those are the three. Awesome. And then that gave you some sense of like, well, maybe God's in this. You met this uh, guy from Italy who was a ship guy, right? First of all, we met the Swiss family who had a shipping company and they introduced us. They, they helped do the feasibility study, tactical plan, deployment plan. Armed with that, I went to a Swiss bank to borrow the money for the first ship. And I only learned this 20 years later because the Swiss are very, they don't talk about what they've done. They'd rather store up treasures in heaven than get credit, down, which I think is commendable. Uh, the bank, the Swiss bank loaned us the money. And that's because Mr. Andre Henry said to the head of the UBS, Union Bank Switzerland, or whichever, maybe it's one of the other three main banks. Um, let's let him try, speaking mm. of me with the ship. Uh, the banks fear the loss of reputation. Well, nobody knew of us. We didn't have a reputation to lose. And they said, uh, Henry said to the bank, if he loses it, because I already had uh, Greek ship owners wanting to buy it. They want, They were willing. I, have a, I had a telex offer uh, for twice what we paid for it. So Henry the said to the banker, yeah, the yeah. If, yeah. He, if he loses it, you can sell it and make money. So you don't have much risk. Let him try. <laughs> now, I'm sure they said it more finely and properly in the business language, but that's how it impacted me. Wow. That's amazing. God, so, I, we serve a God who risks. The God of the Bible is a God who risks. He takes risks with every one of us. And I love that about him. I remember John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that one stuck in my head. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, th let's for those who might be listening who aren't even familiar with Mercy Ships, this ended up, this beginning with this first ship ended up launching Mercy Ships, which now has, give a, give a quick overview of what Mer, what's happened with Mercy Ships since the time, since that first ship till now. Well, we, you know, I'd have to go to our website and <laughs> look it all up. This is what sticks in my mind. Through God's grace, we've performed more than 100,000 surgeries or medical procedures. 
in Africa. There are few in Asia, but mainly in Africa. Because we used to have smaller ships that were serving in the Philippines and other remote areas. But for us, we learned economies of scale. There was a size, the right size, to run a hospital ship. And the reason I think that's important is because we need to look at cost per person served. Um, those little ships, in other words, just looking at it superficially, you can say, well, those little ships, we can, you can get them more out of the, uh, out of the way places, more remote areas and get them further up the rivers. You, you should use small ships. Well, the interesting thing about it, if you're going to do ships that are certified by Lloyd's or some other international registry, it, it takes a lot to run a ship and a little ship. Although it looks little, it may be just as expensive as a bigger ship that has a full hospital on it. So we did a lot of corporate intelligence, best practices, comparisons to lead us to what we could do and what we perhaps could become the best in the world at. Not, not that we're worried about being the best in the world, but what is your core competency? We stopped doing hospitals ashore. There are many organizations that do that and do it well. That wasn't our core competency. So we stopped doing all those things. Well, I think one of the most important things for us at least and uh, for organizations today is to learn what you should stop doing so you can focus on what you should be doing. And for us, it's running hospital ships serving Africa, and we've added the training component. Hmm. What, are, what are some of your, because you, you mentioned in our, uh, I, for those of you who are listening, um, we, did a, we do a bonus uh, content for our people that support the podcast. And I just, uh, encourage you, if you haven't already supported Spirituality Adventures, go over to spiritualityadventures.com and jump on there. But you had mentioned um, that you're recently reading a book by the founder of uh, Hobby Lobby, and you found some interesting intersections between some of your contrarian leadership philosophy and his. What What are some of your most interesting contrarian leadership insights from all all the years of leading Mercy ships? Well, um, I was looking, I turned around to try to find the book. It's, it's downstairs by my favorite chair. And that's where I'm still reading it. I've read it twice. And I, I like to pause and, and wonder, this is by uh, Mr. Green. Uh, is it David Green or is that the son? Anyway, the Green family that own a Hobby Lobby. Mm -hmm. And when he says leadership, not by the book, meaning God didn't lead them like you would learn at a McKinsey seminar or Harvard Business School. Uh, they did the next thing God told them to do, which was started making picture frames in their garage. Next thing you know, they believe God led them, and I believe he did. And look at the size of the company and the reputation it has today, uh, both employees and customers. 
they, he led them to China and they started buying lots of supplies and materials and things to sell in China where you could buy it for a relatively good price with good quality. They are strong on quality control and then sell it in the U.S. for a very marketable competitive price. Not exactly what you would learn at Harvard. And so, and not that I have no, uh, one of our uh, chief medical officers has a PhD from Harvard, so I'm not anti-Harvard. Right, right. I'm just saying we followed what the next step God told us to do, which was to buy a ship. And uh, again, I mentioned already the God who risks. He delights to take risks with his children. Who knows what God can do through you if you're willing to obey the next thing he tells you to do? There's risk, but there's risk in everything we do in life. I I am uh, I am on that journey, <laughs> still taking risks. That's good stuff. So, um, what what's your you? When did you? Um, what what year did you? You led this thing from 1978. You're still connected with it, but you 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 stepped down from the front line leadership. What cup? Just a few years ago. No, no, I'm, again, these are some of my mistakes, okay? <laughs> uh, for me personally, and I think for many founders, one of the biggest life mistakes is in the transfer from one generation of leadership to the next. Succession planning. Right. You know, a lot of books written around, a lot of experts on succession planning, but not too many entrepreneurs or founding pastors have really done it according to what others, the experts, think. So my big mistakes, uh, there are four of them. I'll, I'll just mention three quickly. We're in selecting the person to take over after me. So you get everything ready, you're preparing, you're mentoring, you're giving more and more responsibility, you're stepping out, you make sure that uh, that your staff can't do an end run and find you in the hallway and get permission to do what they wanted to do when uh, their direct report has already said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, I failed the first time. So I was really... At when I say I failed, um, it was a mess, a, a disaster. So you have to go through the process again. And um, I failed a second time. Both were people that I had interviewed, did thorough uh, processing, you know, background checks, checking with others, recommendations, referrals. And uh, I didn't work for us to try to parachute someone else from the outside. I did that twice. It didn't work. So the third time, I thought, well, we'll do it from within. So a young man, very bright, with a heart for missions, smarter than I am, a very bright guy, 
we put him in place and I was stepping out and th that's when the weaknesses, we all have them. You know, I could write a book about my weaknesses and my mistakes. In fact, some people said I should do it. They would buy it just to read about all the mistakes I've made. Uh, he couldn't make decisions. So how did I miss that? Because if you can't make decisions, then everybody that's following you is there's a frustration of backlog. Or we need to get a decision, even if it's wrong, you can go on. My, my view is that if the decision's wrong, or we hope it isn't, but if it is wrong, admit it yeah. and take steps immediately to correct it and get on the right pathway. But yeah. don't be paralyzed with fear of making yeah. decisions. So uh, I started stepping over three, three CEOs before. So that's 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'm very comfortable now having no say-so in operations. I have a lot of people still come to me and then my answer is, well, you know, I'm no longer in operations. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have to deal with that. Hmm. And yet I've been asked by the CEO and the chairman, which, which was a change for probably five years at least. My, nobody wanted to hear anything from me. My voice was, sure, you, you left, you're out of here, goodbye. But uh, the current chairman of the board and the CEO welcome my voice. Mm. Uh, we meet regularly once every two weeks the three of us together often with a zoom call or something like that and we talk about anything and everything so that uh, we're each other strong supporters mm -hmm. and to be in a place where you have a voice no longer the voice rightly so i think is a very healthy place to be and i'm very comfortable uh, in fact and the organization's much better operationally managed than when I was involved. And anyone that works there can tell you that. Hmm. Well, that boy, I'm I'm writing a memoir right now, and it's full of it's full of some of my mistakes for sure. <laughs> I I mine mine are uh, I I I had a meltdown personally, is you know, so I didn't end up. Uh, I had written a secession plan, but didn't end up being the person who oversaw that. So anyway, with the church that I founded, I, I was knocking on doors in the 1990s, starting a church in Kansas City. And then, you know, started with two or three people and it grew to several thousand. But yeah, um, but I'm still kicking. So I'm still alive and breathing. And so I'm, I'm writing down these questions because I'm revisiting well, what is, what is still my purpose? I'm still breathing. Why, why was I born? And my pain, man, I've had a lot of that. And then what to do about it. And then trying to learn from my mistakes and learn and move forward. So, man, we, that's just a part of life, isn't it? We, it is. We journey down these different things. Mistakes, um, mistakes and errors are actually good teachers. Yeah, if we survive them, that's what I say. <laughs> if we if we live through them, then we can. All right, God, what's up?
what what do I need to learn through this? Good stuff. Well, Don, we are we are out of time. I I uh, I could talk on for hours with you, but uh, you are gracious to go past your your deadline with me. Well, thank um, you very much for the call. And as you mentioned, we have a lot in common. Dan is a very close friend of both of us, and I've learned a lot from Dan. Thank you so much for taking time to join us on Spirituality Adventures. Thanks for all the all the work and ministry that you've done uh, through the years. I am I'm super fond of Africa. I've been going to Ethiopia for over two decades, uh, working with. Uh, churches that we helped start and orphanages that we helped start and still have a real fondness for uh, that country. And uh, that's the main country that I've worked in, but have always been aware of mercy ships uh, ever since I came to Christ. I came to Christ in 1977 as a teenager coming out of the recreational drug world and came to Christ at a Southern Baptist youth camp. And I've been following Jesus ever since. And I was always aware of, I never was a YWAMer, but I was always aware and always crossed paths. In fact, I met Lauren Cunningham years ago and then met, uh, oh gosh, what's the guy that took over after Lauren? Um, the big um, tall guy. What? Tell the big me, tall guy. Tell me his, with his name. Floyd McClellan. Yeah, Floyd. And I, I had dinner with, with Floyd one night back, oh gosh, it's been a couple of decades ago, but yeah, we, we could go on and on and on about common connections. Well, just one other thing you mentioned, Green Acres is our home church in Tyler, Texas. Oh, is so that right? Pastor David Dykes was our pastor until he, he, he instituted a very wonderful succession plan. And our new pastor is just doing very well. It's just encouraging to see. Hmm. Well, that's good. It's always good when it goes well, right? <laughs> Thankful for that. But yes, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for all the work that you've done in in uh, in the world for the for Jesus and for the good of uh, the poor and those who are disabled and those who are who are uh, who are struggling just to have basic basic health. It's it's a wonderful, beautiful expression of the life of Jesus. Thank you for doing all you've done through the years. You're thanks very for, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures, and we will see you next time. Hey, you made it to the end. Thanks for listening all the way through on this episode. By the way, if you're not already a supporter, go to spiritualityadventures.com, sign up for one of our monthly supports, and you will receive our bonus content. You'll receive lots of interesting information about our guests. Many of our musicians will do special bonus songs and record a song. So I want to encourage you to do that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Be sure and subscribe. Be sure and share any of the episodes that you like. And be sure and make comments if you like them as well. This helps us uh, get spirituality adventures out there to more listeners, more, more watchers. So whatever platform you're using, subscribe, like, share, make comments, and go to our website, sign up for our team and be a part of the team support. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.